I broke his heart, but I love him to stay now. I got it early in the morning. I got it late in the evening. Well, I want it, I need it. Oh, I gotta have it. I don't know why Vince picks these songs for the offertory. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's your job to say he is risen indeed. But, but is that uh, good news? Neagu's wife did not uh, think so. Bucharest, Romania, 1991. The family doctor had pronounced 71-year Neagu dead from a uh, heart attack. But three days later, grave diggers discovered that he was very much alive when they heard someone knocking from inside the coffin. But when he knocked on his own front door, his wife fainted, and then she wouldn't let him into the house for several days, for she thought he was a ghost. Barcelona, Spain, hitchhiking farmer, took shelter in an empty coffin in the back of a flip, flatbed, flatbed truck as it began to rain, and they were bumping down the road. Along the way, two more hitchhikers jumped in the back of the flatbed truck, and when the farmer in the coffin opened the top of the coffin and asked them if the rain had stopped, they were so terrified, they jumped from the truck and one of them died. Cairo, Egypt, 1997. Abdel Badwai, having been pronounced dead for 12 full hours, began calling for help from a morgue refrigerator. The paramedic that, that found him collapsed in shock and, and died. He is risen! But is that good news? You know, another way to say he is risen is, it's alive! Which is just about the most horrifying thing you can hear in any monster movie. You know, in suspense movies, there always seems to be a point when everyone thinks that uh, the, the person is, that, that someone's dead, and, and yet then they, they recover. People start to celebrate, but then they're still alive. And that's good news or bad news on, depending on whose side that, that, you, that you're on. He is risen. Yeah, but how did that sound to King Herod and to Caiaphas and to Pilate? There's this old legend that Pilate's body was finally disposed of in a dark lake on Mount Pilatus in the Swiss Alps. Mount Pilatus, that's Mount Pilatus. The legend is that every Good Friday, his ghost can be seen above the lake, still anxiously, desperately trying to wash the blood of Christ from, from his hands. He is risen. How did that sound? How did that sound to Pilate? How does that sound uh, to you? Remember what Jesus said to Pilate on Good Friday? He said, He who delivered me over to you, parodidomai is the Greek verb, he who handed me over to you, who, he who betrayed me to you, has the greater sin. So who betrayed him? Who handed it over? Who gave him uh, to, to Pilate? It was Judas at least. Judas comes from Judah, or Judah, Judeos, uh, where we get the word Jew. 
Remember all the criticism over Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ because he portrayed Caiaphas saying, his blood be on us and on our children? It wasn't just Caiaphas that said that in Scripture. So was it Judas, Pilate, Caiaphas, Herod, the Romans, or the Jews that killed Jesus? He is risen! Yeah. But you do sound a little bit nervous. Maybe not all that enthusiastic. Why are you nervous? I mean that in a really big way. Why are you nervous in general? I have an old psychology textbook, Gleitman's textbook, that defines neurosis this way, and I quote, a broad term for mental disorders, which sounds like mental illness to me, whose primary symptoms are anxiety or what seems to be defenses against anxiety. Now, I realize that there are severe mental illnesses that may have all sorts of chemical components, etc. I just have a hard time believing that anyone is not neurotic. <laughs> that is terribly nervous or in denial of their own anxiety. And you see, maybe we're nervous for a very good reason. You know, Jesus said, I am the truth. So what if the truth is Jesus? No one can define truth or prove that truth is true, and yet we all assume that everyone around us knows the voice of truth. That's why we get mad at them for lying. Did you know the voice of truth? It's as if we all hear truth calling our name. What if every time you deny the truth, you deny Jesus? What if every time you break truth, you break Jesus? What if every time you betray truth, you betray Jesus? Not just a dead idea, but a living person, even the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what we've been preaching on the last few weeks here, the lion of the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament. What if? I mean, no wonder we're nervous. You know, Jesus also said this, I am the life. So what if the life is I am that I am? I mean, in flesh, Jesus. Have you ever taken a life? Now, most of you thought to yourself, no, okay, I got off on that one. I've never murdered anyone. I've never taken a life. Well, how about your own life? I mean, Jesus said, I am the life. That means there's only one life, and it's not yours. Where'd you get your life? I mean, seriously, isn't it weird how we just showed up here one day? Now, you may say, well, I didn't know that it was his life when I called it my life, and I believe you. You know not what you do, to use Jesus' words. What if, like Jesus said, God alone is good, and like John said, God is love? So real love must be God and everything that's good. Have you ever violated, have you ever done violence to love? Have you ever done violence to love and realized that you were bad? It was the late 60s. I was seven. And as usual, feeling awkward when I noticed that my friends Kent and Tim would laugh at this one little girl in our class because she was chunky. And I was kind of chunky too. They said she smelled. And so to impress Tim and Kent, I snuck up behind her one day in front of the whole class and I bent over and <laughs> sniffed. Just then, Miss Torrance, who I had an absolute crush on because she wore miniskirts, our teacher, she turned around, she saw me, and she cried out, Peter, what are you doing? And I looked up into the face of Miss Torrance and I looked into the face of that little girl, and I felt like I had just crucified everything good. And something in me died. 
and I just wanted to run. I wanted to run because it felt as if the truth had started calling my name. Peter, 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 whispered under every breath, Peter, 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 and I, I just, I just wanted to run. In college, I was backpacking in the Gore Range, and I came upon uh, this rise, I remember, and I stopped, and I'm looking out over the view, and I'm breathing really, really heavy, <sighs> and all of a sudden, I realized that it wasn't only me breathing. I heard something else breathing. I just held my breath, and the breathing continued. But deep and with a low rumble like a cat, suddenly I realized that there must be a mountain lion just over the rise below my feet. And so I left. And then I just, I just began to run. I ran and ran. That's the closest I've ever been to being stalked by a lion. And that's how guilt feels. That's how shame feels. The Swiss philosopher Max Picard wrote, a man lives and living he flees. To live and flee are one. He's making the point that we all run from the way, the truth, and the life. We've each been running from the garden ever since we first felt shame. We each run from a pursuer, a pursuer who seems to call our name under every breath. About 30 years later after that incident in second grade, about 20 years ago now, one day on sabbatical, I wrote a letter to that little girl from my second grade class. Of course, I have done things far worse than that, but for some reason, that one just stuck with me. I wrote her a long and gut-wrenching apology, but I never sent it. I didn't want to hurt her feelings any worse than I already had, and besides, it wasn't really to her that I needed to write the letter. I mean, she is also a sinner, and it wasn't simply against her that I had sinned. King David wrote, against you, and you only have I sinned, O God. What if God is the good, the truth, the love, in everyone that you've ever met? What if you violated him a million times, taken his life and called it your own, crucified the good and made everything die, and now he is risen? Is that good news? John 19, 36. For these things took place, which John Perch, John Perch, reading John, just read. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. That clearly refers to the Passover lamb. So Jesus is the Passover lamb, and the Jews were commanded to not break one of uh, the bones of the Passover lamb. Just cut his throat, drain its blood, and then eat it. He is risen. <laughs> Verse 37. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And here John quotes Zechariah the prophet. Since we've been preaching from the prophets, I thought we'd preach on this verse today. They will look on him whom they have pierced. They would at least include one Roman centurion, right? But then I thought, well, maybe they is more than one Roman centurion. And then I remembered this old movie. I know what you did last summer. Now, I don't think you can read the tagline here, but I think, I'm sure I remember, I'm sure I didn't, I hadn't watched the movie, but I remember, the, but I, this tagline, I'm sure I had read it. This is, this is the tagline. If you're going to bury the truth, make sure it stays buried. For the kids in this movie, he is, is risen is not good news, but a nightmare. Oh my God! I think he's dead. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for manslaughter? We make a pact. Right here, now we take the Sar grave. 
For the last year, four friends have kept a secret. Are you on drugs? No. Well, then what is wrong? I've had a rough year. But not all secrets stay buried. Somebody sent this to me. Oh, my God. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning. Toast to us. Is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. If he wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made. It was an accident. There was no accident. It was murder. What if he's still alive? Hey! What are you doing here? Is coming back to haunt them. Oh, my God. He's after me, too. I got a letter. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. <laughs> Julie gets a body in a trunk and you get a letter? That's balanced. He's waiting for us to unravel. <laughs> the wait is over. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? <laughs> That's why I titled this message, I Know What You Did Last Friday. <laughs> Michael made this poster for me. I, I love this. I know what you did last Friday. Now you can read the tagline. If you're going to bury the truth, make sure he stays buried. <laughs> How do you like this? How do you like this one? Lots of folks uh, think that a different Jesus is coming back the second time because, you know, he kind of like forgot to kick ass the first time. That's what, that's what they think. Well, anyway, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. This is what John, okay, now this is important. This is what John thinks happened last Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. And I, Yahweh, whenever you read the Lord you, in, the, in the Old Testament, they're usually translating the word Yahweh, all right? And I, the Lord, will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, now remember this is God talking, on me, on him, so God and him are one, that's wild, Whenever they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Remember, Jesus is the only begotten, right? Firstborn from the dead, firstborn of all creation. When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So they, they will look. So the obvious first question is, who is they? Second question, what day is this? John thinks it's Good Friday. On that day, verse 11, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for or at Hadad Rimen in the plain of Megiddo, which refers to some sort of pagan festival or more probably the death of King Josiah on the plain of Megiddo for which all of Israel would mourn. Whatever the case, we're talking about a lot of mourning, a lot of weeping, a whole lot of weeping, a fountain of weeping. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David, by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi, the priest, by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the Shimeites, which is a lot of people, by itself and their wives by themselves and all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. People will mourn as groups, as we all as if we all pierced him together, and people will mourn as individuals as if we've all pierced him in our own unique and individual way. Next verse. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. A, a fountain. Sounds like a fountain of weeping or maybe a fountain of blood. Or maybe both. Maybe a fountain of life because the life is in the blood. So who's they? Well, it's obvious not just one Roman centurion or Caiaphas or, or Herod or Pilate. It's the house of David. 
David who said, against you, you only have I sinned. It's David and his house, which by this time, hundreds and hundreds of years later, includes a whole lot of dead people and, and living people, thousands of people, and it's Nathan's house, Nathan the prophet, who revealed David's sin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is a lot of people. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's a lot of people, especially when you consider that heaven is a, a new Jer Jerusalem. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And, and think about it. If you want to get to heaven, don't you have to admit that you, in fact, pierced Jesus? I mean, that is exactly what it means to confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that he saved you from your sins, your iniquities. Behold, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, prophesies Isaiah. Unless his blood is on you, Caiaphas, unless his blood is on you and even in you, you got no life in you, according to Jesus. So all this talk about who killed Jesus it is just profoundly, insanely stupid, just stupid. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That means that he and his father arranged for all of us to kill him together. It wasn't Romans, Jews, or nails that held him to the tree. It was his love for you. The they that will look on him whom they have pierced is everyone that's anyone and you. And so now you, you may ask, okay, uh, can you tell me when this will be? Well, this is where it really gets crazy. For Zechariah says, on that day. And John tells us that that day was last Friday, that is Good Friday 2,000 years ago. Now listen to what else Zechariah and John and apparently Jesus seemed to think happened on that day. John, because he said this happened in accordance with Scripture, which is the Old Testament to John, and Jesus because he said that he fulfilled Scripture and he said to his disciples on Easter, why are you so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? That includes Zechariah. And check out what Zechariah has spoken. Zechariah 9 through 14, it comprises one unit titled an oracle or a prophecy or a burden of the word of the Lord. And in it, the phrase on that day, which is also translated at that day, the, the preposition be on or, or at, well, it appears 18 times as if all these things in chapters 9 through 14 happen on or at the edge of that day, that one day. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah prophesies what we read last week. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a, a donkey. Now, this is interesting because Zechariah is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this stuff is lying around when Jesus is walking the face of the earth, and we actually have manuscripts of this. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Verse 16, on that day the Lord their God will save them. Then Zechariah 10, verse 6, they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God. Verse 8, they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them, they shall remember me, they shall live and return. That's amazing because that means all the rejected are the accepted. Chapter 11, Zechariah talks as if he's Jesus. He says this, I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. On that day they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw them to the potter. Now you may remember that Judas received 30 pieces of silver to betray, hand over paradidomi in Greek, to hand over Jesus. Remember what happened then. Judas then took the 30 pieces of silver, threw it into the temple, and the priest used the money to buy this field in the, in the potter's field in the valley of Gehenna which sometimes gets translated hell, which is where Judas hung himself. So literally, Jesus purchased Judas with his own blood according to prophecy. I, I find that astounding. Chapter 12, verse 3. On that day, all the nations of the earth will gather against Jerusalem. Verse 4. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a flaming torch. You may remember how the Spirit fell on the early church at Pentecost, and people from all the nations of the world marveled at, at the worship of, the, of these Jews from all these countries. Verse 8, on that day, the house of David shall be like God. 
Let me read that again. <laughs> On that day, the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of Yahweh. That's Jesus. Verse 9. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations, all the peoples that come against Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem. And how will he destroy them? Next verse. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn. They're going to be destroyed by looking on him whom they have pierced and then mourn. And blessed are those who mourn, said Jesus, for they will inherit something. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day there shall be a fountain opened. Verse 2. On that day I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. Hopefully you are aware that the last idol and the most deceptive idol of all is yourself, your ego, your flesh. Verse 4, on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. You see, there is no prophecy that can even compare to what everyone will see on that day when we look on the one whom we have pierced. Verse 6, and if one asks the prophet, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, these are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. Did, did, did you know that your wounds will match Christ's wounds? And his wounds will match your wounds, your wounds will become a fountain of mercy. <laughs> That's what they're for. Chapter 14. Verse 1, behold, a day is coming. So is this day that's coming, is it that day or another day or both? For a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. In other words, you will all suffer loss, but that very loss will become treasure that you will all divide, that you will all, we will all divide uh, um, amongst ourselves. We will all share. Verse 4, on that day, his feet will stand, uh, stand on, on the Mount of Olives. Then the Lord God will come and all the holy ones with him. Verse 6, on that day, there shall be a unique day, literally one day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. Time will not be the same on that day. Verse 8, on that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem. I mean, this must be the fountain, right? The fountain that was opened, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name will be one. You know, most people believe that the Lord is not one, but two. They think he's love and just the opposite of love, which they call justice. But from the start, Israel was taught to recite this line every day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. See, God's justice is salvation. God's name is salvation. The name Jesus, Yeshua, it literally means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Verse 12, Zechariah prophesies a plague. That's scary. It's like the seven plagues in the Revelation. On all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem, their flesh was like a little rot where they stand. I mean, that sounds horrifying. And yet we know, we know this, that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of, of God. Your flesh is your old body of death. It's your pride. It's your, your ego. It's the thing that, well, let's just be honest here. It's the thing that eats life and poops death. That's what it is. It's the prison in which we are now trapped. Their ego, their flesh will be destroyed. Verse 19, this shall be the punishment to all the nations, all the peoples that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booze. The Feast of Booze was also called the Feast of Ingathering when all the harvest of the earth was gathered in at the end of the year and the grapes, they were crushed in wine vats making blood that's, well, blood that's wine and wine that's blood. On the eighth day of the feast, which was a first day and a continual seventh day, an eternal day, the Israelites would leave their booths and enter the city. It was Israel's greatest party. That means it was a commanded good time. You will have a good time, a commanded blessing. Verse 20, and on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. On that day, even the war horses will, will be holy. Everything will be holy. 
verse 21. Everything will be holy. Verse 21, and there shall no longer be a, a traitor. This is the last verse. There shall no longer be a traitor, someone who makes deals. There shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord. I mean, Jesus must have been thinking this verse when he cleansed the house of the Lord of the money changers, don't you think? On that day, no one will pretend to have some sort of business arrangement with God. (laughs) So you cannot pay for the grace of God, and you need to know that because you are the house of the Lord. Verse 21, last verse, and there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. That day, that day, that day. What day? What day is he talking about? Well, the day they look on him whom they have pierced. Who's they? All the tribes of the earth. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even and or that is, those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. (laughs) They is you. They is everyone. And when is that day? Matthew 24, 30. Listen to Jesus if you don't hear me. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great glory. Matthew 26, verse 64, pay attention. Jesus said to Caiaphas and in front of everybody, from now on you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. From now on. They is everyone, and that day is at least every day since Good Friday. And they may say, well, how could one day be that day? And how could that day be all those things that, that Zechariah described? How could that day be so evil and so good? How could that day be like the absolute worst day and the absolute best day? Well, tell me about this day. Was that the worst day? Or was it the best day? Was that evil? Or was that good? Maybe that day was judgment day. And it's not God's judgment that changes. It's our judgment that changes. It's weird how we think that we can change God's judgment when it's God's judgment to change us. You ever thought about that? It's his judgment to create us in his image. What sort of tree is this? Is this evil? Or is this good? Or is this the knowledge of good and evil? Is this death? Or is this uh, life? I mean, do you, do you die here or live here or, or maybe both? Did you notice earlier in our service how John 19, John mentioned that Jesus was crucified 
in a garden? Maybe this is God's judgment on all of our judgments. I mean, maybe God is one, and we are two. So do you run from the man on this tree? Or do you run to the man on this tree? Or are you kind of divided? There were two trees in one spot, or maybe there was one tree that we make two. What's hanging on this tree? Oh, that's God in flesh. That's the good in flesh. None is good but God alone, said Jesus. So if you pierced him, if you took the life of the good on this tree, well, that would be evil. And then you would know class, you would know evil. But what if you receive the life of the good from this tree? That would be, yeah, it would be grace. It would be grace and that would be, that would be good. That would be the good. You would know the good <laughs> and maybe the life because what is life? Life is a communion of grace in which each member of a life sacrifices for every other member of that life. So anyway, if we took the life of the good on this tree, that would be sin. But suppose God gave the life of the good on this tree before we took it. That would be for Forgiveness, forgiveness. Suppose God in the flesh said, I give you my body and blood before we took his body and blood. Well, knowledge of that, or I should say being known by that, known by him, knowledge of, of his forgiveness, well, that might just change everything from death to, to life. Have you ever loved someone so much have you ever loved someone so much that, that, well, you almost wanted them to hurt you just so that you could forgive them? And then they would know that you would die for them if need be? I think every good father has a, has a moment like that. And every good father knows that nothing is as powerful for winning a child's heart and shaping that heart in one's own image as forgiveness. Suppose forgiveness, grace, and absolute, relentless love for nothing is God's eternal judgment. Suppose we cannot change God's judgment, but knowledge of God's judgment will forever change us such that we will know the good and the evil, but constantly choose the good in freedom, which is life, eternal life. Suppose the judgment of God is like to make us in his own image. Oh, that sounds familiar. What if his judgment is to make us in his own image? Well, then the last thing that you and I should do is run from the judgment of God. Knowledge that we pierced him would be knowledge that our judgment was evil, and of course at first we'd be tempted to run. But knowledge that he let us pierce him would be knowledge that he is good and his judgment is grace, which creates a communion of life. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, they that pierced him is all of us. And that day that we pierced him is Good Friday and Judgment Day, or the edge of Judgment Day, so when is Judgment Day? If you've been a part of this church for a while, you know that scripture in the early church viewed time something like this. Six days or ages of chronological time that end in a seventh day, a unique day, one day, an eternal day, that is sometimes pictured as an eighth day, the last great day of the Feast of Booths, or ingathering the harvest of the earth. Jesus rose on the eighth day, that was a first day, the Sabbath of the Sabbaths. 
Well, at the end of time, we will all look on the one whom we have pierced. Judgment day. At the end of time, we'll all look on the one whom we have pierced. And get this, according to Scripture, Jesus was sacrificed once for all at the end of the ages. And yet we looked on him whom we have pierced last Friday. Good Friday. At the end of the sixth day of creation, sixth day of the week, around the sixth hour of the day, but when did you first pierce him? When did you pierce him? Well, wasn't it the moment that you first broke the truth? Violated the truth by telling a lie? The first moment you took a life and started calling the life your, your, your own, the moment you first refused to love, and, and then every moment in which you reject God's judgment in favor of your own judgment. And when did humanity, Adam, first pierce him? Well, the revelation tells us that the Lamb of God, who is the Word of God, was slain from the foundation of the world. And now it also tells us that the Lamb is a lion. And as the old Maasai elder said in the story we read a couple weeks ago, all the time we think we are the lion, and in the end, the lion is God. I'm saying that you really are being hunted by a lion, and he is always at hand. No wonder we're nervous. We're just beginning to realize that we pierced the lion of the tribe of Judah, thought he was dead, and now he's risen from the dead. We're just beginning to realize that our judgment is evil, and now we are being hunted by the good. So if you would, I want you to just close your eyes, okay? Now, even if you're watching online, I want you to just close your eyes. Just close your eyes, and I want you to keep them closed until I tell you to open them. I want you to close your eyes and get in touch with your anxiety. Get in touch with your fears. And, and if you say, I have no fears, I think you're lying. Now imagine that you're walking through a field and you come upon a rise Your heart is pounding. Your breathing is heavy. And then you realize something else is breathing too. So you quietly turn and begin to walk away quickly. And the breathing follows you. you begin to run and you can hear it. It's running too. He's running too. You realize it's the lion. With every breath you know that he calls your name. Truth calls your name. Life calls your name. Goodness calls your name. All your anxiety comes from being untrue, being an act. All 
your anxiety comes from taking life rather than giving life. All your anxiety comes from the fact that you've taken knowledge of the good and now you cannot make yourself good, live your life, or speak the truth. There is a voice that tells you to run. That's the voice of the evil one. And there is a voice that calls your name because he knows who you are. That's the lion. All at once he leaps. You feel his claws in your back as he pulls you to the ground, enfolding you in his embrace. You know that you will die. You feel his full weight pressing you into the dust of the earth. You feel his breath on your neck. And then you feel his tongue as he begins to lick your cheek, he begins to lick your face. And he says your name. Listen to him say your name. And then he speaks. I have chosen you, and I will not forsake you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my strong right arm. But now, you do need to know When you broke truth, it was my body that was broken. I am the life in the womb. I am the life in every immigrant at your border. I am the life in every little second-grade girl in your second-grade class. I am the life in every lamb that was ever slaughtered in the temple or the field. I am the life that courses through your veins as I speak. I am the life that you took when you called your life your own. I am the good you took from the tree in the garden of your heart. And what you did and what you do now in anxiety and fear is evil. It is your judgment. But I do not condemn you. And that is my judgment, and it's good. I do not condemn you, and I do not blame you as if you could have done otherwise, for you did not know me, the good. That's why I lifted my head on the tree in the garden and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You did not. No. I consigned you to disobedience that you would come to know 
I knew that you would take my life on the tree in the garden. I knew, but you did not know that you would take my life on the tree in the garden. And so you could not know that I give my life on the tree in the garden. And so you could not know grace. And so you could not have faith in me. I am love without limits. I consigned all to disobedience that I may have mercy on all that all might choose to love as they have been loved in the very image of me. I know what you did last Friday. It was evil. But you do not yet know what I did last Friday. It was the good. I am the good. And to know me is to live and to never ever be anxious again. And now if you say, but I've confessed my sins and I believe your grace, but I'm still anxious, I'm still afraid, this is what I say to you. Thank you. You have confessed sins but you still have faith in the most deceptive of all idols, yourself. You have confessed sins, but you still believe that you are created, saved, and redeemed by your own confession. Your judgment, your decisions. You do not create, save, or redeem yourself. I create you. I save you. I redeem you with myself. That's my judgment. That's my decision. There is no traitor in the house of the Lord. No one can pay for everything that's anything is grace. It's always been and always will be grace. When you know this, you will die to your ego. And you will begin to live your life in me. You will live our life, our eternal life, when you know this. And you will know this, for I am your Creator, your Savior, and your Redeemer. I am your wisdom, your good judgment, your righteousness, your free will. And so, my beloved, whom I could not love more than I do right now, when you are anxious and afraid, remember that it's me that's calling your name. And it's the devil that's telling you to run. Stop running. Stop. Shabbat. Just stop and let me remind you. I already know what you did last Friday and every day. But you do not know or you have forgotten what I did last Friday. And what I did last Friday is who I am all the time. I am love. You are my creation. And even when it looks like I fail, I do not fail. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, so no more fear. And now it's Easter.
Amen. So you can open your eyes if you haven't already. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, wrote, I receive from the Lord what I have also delivered, parodidomi, unto you. I receive from the Lord what I have also parodidomied, there's a different way to conjugate, unto to you, that on the night that Jesus was parodidomied, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, you see, he's saying to, to even receive communion and offer communion, you hand Jesus over. Even to love and be loved, you hand Jesus over. Why? Because Jesus is love, God in the flesh. You didn't come up with love. Love came up with you. So I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Now, this is before the cross, right? This is my body given to you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. Now, I told you when I asked you to do that imagine thing, I told you what I think God is telling you. I really think he's telling you that. This is what I know God is telling you right here. And so behold, look upon. This is why we come to church every week. Look upon the one you have pierced. All your life, you have taken his life. And all your life, he has given you, he has forgiven you his life, and now you know and John records Jesus as saying this, knowing me and the one who sent me is life, eternal life. Last Friday is a revelation of who he always is. Absolute love. So close your eyes and just pray these words after me, okay? And I'm not gonna have you raise your hand or do any of that stuff, all right? So just, just mean it when you pray it. Father, thank you for what you did last Friday. Thank you for who you are and for revealing who I am. I am your beloved, and now I surrender to your love. So, Lord God, we thank you that all thy works shall praise thy name and that even now, this day, it happens. For John looked and he saw every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and everything that is within them praising the one on the throne and the Lamb. And so, Lord God, we praise your name today and we thank you that that day has come to us. In Jesus, it's Easter. Amen. All thy works shall praise thy name. That's God's judgment. So stop running from God's judgment. Who would tell us to run from God's judgment? Well, at least the devil. Before you go, I, I want to say, um, well, on Tuesday, we'll do this chew the fat thing. If you have questions about theology of the sermon or whatever, um, well, not whatever, because I don't know much about some things, but um, you can send that uh, thing to me and we'll do a link. And we plan to just uh, chew the fat from six to seven and then we'll stop. A week's I don't preach, we'll see about that. Maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't, because we're not interested in chewing the fat of other people's uh, sermons. Secondly, um, I wrote these two books, and all the proceeds from these books, it goes to the church as long as I'm employed at the church. 
And because uh, if you listen to my sermons, like I know that one picture of the tree, I've shown that just like almost every sermon I've preached for the last three or four years. And so some people might be sick of it. Are you sick of it, Josiah? Okay, don't be sick of it. He's an employee of the church now. He has to say that. So anyway, um, but that's because I think we've, we, haven't, we've, we haven't been telling the whole story for the last 1,500 years. And that is that God's judgment is to create us in his own image, and God's judgment is to make everything good and finished. So um, I have these uh, two The History of Time and the Genesis of You. It's a commentary in the first chapter of Genesis. The second one is titled God and His Body. Um, and if you have questions about the theology, I hope you get these. Before I die, I think I'm supposed to write a commentary in the third chapter called The Tree in the Middle of the Garden. But you see, it, it, I'm saying that all of Scripture, because we've missed telling the big story, we've missed... Um, We've missed the fact that all thy works shall praise thy name. And so we've turned Easter into a small thing that only applies to a fraction of humanity that happened to make a good decision sometime after 33 AD. But Easter is not a small thing. It's everything. For the resurrection and the life is the judgment of God. And so running from the judgment of God is hiding yourself in hell. And the lion will chase you there. So I'm asking you for his sake, don't hide yourself in hell. And when I say believe the gospel, I'm commanding you to surrender, to surrender to the judgment of God, to stop and surrender to love. So in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel, and happy Easter, amen. <laughs>